Hey world, welcome back to the Shape of a Star podcast where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it so that like we're the star or something along that line like that, whatever. All right. So today we have on an interesting guest that our encounter was very interesting as well. So I'm not going to waste time. Everyone, welcome Matt Brady. Hey Danny, how's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks right. for having me on. No problem. So just because I like to recap for the listeners, <laughs> you could explain, how did we meet? <laughs> um, so I was headed back from Philly, uh, typical Amtrak uh, shuttle back and forth. And uh, Danny sat down next to me and, and just struck up a conversation. So uh, I, I was I was ready to get dialed in and start reviewing documents. And, and he started telling me about everything going on with him and asked some good questions. And here we are. Huh. Okay, cool. I always wonder because actually on my way to Philly, so obviously I was in Philly too, everyone. Uh, on my way to Philly, I had to sit down next to some like random guy too, and he got so annoyed. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't control that there's no free seats. Right, right. Uh, actually, he got class. off where you, you got off too. So, haha, interesting. Right. So, nice. because I work with kids, you have kids. Um, first thing we tell them is don't talk to strangers. So what on earth compelled you to open up to a complete stranger on a train? Uh, you know, I don't know. There's not much to hide. So, uh, I, like I said, I thought you asked some interesting questions and had a good story and you seemed like you were opening up. And so I reciprocated. And I appreciate it. Cause now look, people. Yeah. Literally, anyone could be fascinating. And no, we had a really fascinating <laughs> convo on the train. I appreciate <laughs> that. I don't know if I qualified as fascinating, but but I'll, I'll take it. I've learned through doing this show that no one thinks they're fascinating. Right. <laughs> so on the preform thing that everyone fills out that the world already knows you do, so we don't have to pretend. <laughs> so you call yourself a husband, a father, and a life hack wonk. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's dive into what is a life hack wonk. So, so that term gets used a lot in in my life for whatever reason. I'm one of these people that just gets, I get uh, caught up in the details of things and and really kind of grind on stuff. And it's one of the things that I think contributed to to making me successful in what I do, just because I I have a very technical uh, uh, career, and so. Uh, anyway, the, when we were talking and when, when you sent me that thing, um, my family and I were going through these life hacks and it was funny because I was, I was, I introduced this, somebody sent me an email or I read an article, I can't remember what it was. And it had all these like, uh, practical life hacks that you can use in your life. And they're all pretty simple, but no, nobody's put them as, as they were when I read this thing. And so I thought it was, I got to share this. And so I sent it to my wife. And then we sat down and we were talking to our kids and we were like, hey, here's some interesting stuff. And they said, if you really want to see some life or life hacks, let us show you these YouTube videos. And of course, every, every, you know, uh, what do they call them? Uh, they're like a, a, a big collage of, of YouTube videos where you can just watch one after the other after they on these life hacks. And so anyway, we, the, yeah, I guess you call them that. Uh, they had some other name for it. But anyway, I was like, 
this is something that I feel like I could I could dig into a little bit and and start to apply. And so I've actually I've less of the stuff on YouTube, more of the stuff from the list. But you know, it's little things. It's like uh, um, anything you say before the word but doesn't really count. And so I tried to stop using the word but and. Um, uh, I, I should have had them pulled up here before we, we started talking. Um, the other one is it's not an apology if, it, if there's an excuse. And so it's like, you know, when you're apologizing to someone, it just changes the whole way you view your apology. Uh, it's, it's big stuff in the grand scheme. When you really think about it, if you get good at apologizing, you actually mean it it's, carries a lot more weight and you can actually, you can actually make somebody feel better when you're doing it. So anyway, when, when I was filling out the, the form, I, I thought that was just a funny thing to throw in there. Well, no, I appreciate it. See, I thought you were going to like drop some, Hey guys, if you do this <laughs> to like a wire in your house, you're you power save or something. <laughs> you need to go, you need to go to YouTube for that. Um, yeah, but there, so here's one, uh, from that list. Uh, and I've actually used this and it works when you're cutting birthday cake, use, uh, unflavored dental floss and it actually works better than a knife. What? Yeah. Right. You just use it. You pull it straight across and you can, you can cut it up like that rather than getting a knife all, all the icing and it gets a messy and, and that sort of thing. You can't serve it that way, but you can definitely cut it with a piece of dental floss. Oh, okay. You said toothpaste. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I say toothpaste? At least that's what uh, I got. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. Uh, maybe I said uh, unflavored or unflavored uh, dental floss is what I meant. It's like a piece of string. Wow. Okay. That makes way more sense. Yeah. <laughs> sorry if I screwed that up on the front end. Oh, psh, no biggie. It was very interesting to think about. Like, well, how do you hold toothpaste like out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, No. Okay, the whole word wonk, I was like, what on earth is a wonk, too? So that right. threw me off, too. Yeah, you have to be careful throwing that out there from people from the UK. They have a they have another word that they use that doesn't mean detail-oriented guy. <laughs> okay, so that's what it means, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> Fun story, the other person I'm interviewing this week is from the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He's actually a potter, so he uses, like, the metal wire to, like, cut all his, like, clay stuff. So there you go. He'll appreciate the birthday cake hack. Yeah. All right. But so you also have a ton of hobbies you listed and a bunch of them I have questions about. So let's go dive right into that. So running, how long have you been a runner? I mean, since I was a kid, but it's one of those things where you, yeah, I got into it and then got out of it and it's, uh, it's a great kind of meditation. I'm not very good at it. I'm not, I'll just give the umbrella. I'm not like a naturally gifted athlete, but I love, I love competing and I love the, the athletic side of things. And so I'll, I'll compete and, and, and play sports, but I'm not at any kind of level where I'm going to get sponsored or win anything. So it's really, you know, you just do it for the love of whatever the sport is and running, running is one of those things. So uh, I've probably been doing it for I don't know, 25 years. Wow. <laughs> Almost yeah. my whole life. <laughs> but, okay, so because you've been running for so long, there's always these articles online about, like, oh, running might not be the most healthiest for people because of, like, stress upon knees and stuff. So I always like to ask runners, 
how do you keep your body all in check to make sure you're not like overdoing it or over hurting or whatnot? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't do too much of it. It's just like anything else. Do it in moderation. I mean, I'm probably doing 10 to 12 miles a week right now. Nothing, nothing heroic. It's the people that crank through marathon after marathon after marathon that get hurt. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I try to listen to my body a little bit. Not that I'm especially in tune with it, but I can I can tell when I'm overdoing it and then just dial it back or change it up or, you know, whatever. But good question. And you're right. I mean, uh, look, Harvard did a study not too long ago that showed that walking can be just as good as running if you do it right. Uh, and so and it's a lot less strain on your body. So that's not lost on me either, especially when I'm out there with the dog. I'm like, mm, no reason to run. I don't know if it was Harvard, but that a study very with the same a study with the same findings came out right before the pandemic. Yeah, and then when I everyone mean, was like shut home, all they could do was walk around anyway. So oh yeah, I have friends that are like self-proclaimed COVID walkers. They started walking when COVID hit, and now they walk like five miles a day, and uh, you know they listen to podcasts like like yours. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, feel free to pitch it to them. Yeah, especially when your episode goes out. Uh, oh, by the way, everyone, it is July twentieth, twenty twenty two. So, if we say something that doesn't make sense, whenever you're listening to this, <laughs> you know the context of our lives. That's right. Yeah, so that's important. Yeah. All right. So that was with running. So you also say that you're into swimming. Yeah. So uh, you know, there again, I um, I like to compete, and uh, somebody said, "Hey, you need to." Uh, run marathons and I was like that sounds terrible I don't know if I really want to run 26 miles and, but um, I, I found triathlon and there's varying degrees of triathlon and so everybody knows the Ironman and so sometimes when you say you do triathlon you get credit for that but uh, really what I was doing was like a quarter of that it was, they're called international distance or um, uh, Olympic distance uh, triathlons and so um, it was funny. I started, I started, uh, swimming for that. And I thought I knew how to swim cause I, I grew up swim team at the pool and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, my, my wife for like my birthday or maybe it was father's day or something. She got me this, uh, she got me this, uh, clinic with one of the top triathlon swimmers in the, in the world. Uh, this girl named Sarah McClarity and she's down in Orlando at the uh olympic training center down there and she uh she's like all right in the pool let me see uh let me see a few laps and then we'll we'll get into it and i did i did maybe three laps and she's like stop stop you're you're a horrible swimmer you don't know what you're doing you're so inefficient in the water you're trying to muscle through it you're and so really humbling right and and yeah <laughs> then, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm like super de detail oriented and you grind on that stuff and swimming is all technique. Swimming is like, uh, it's, you know, I don't care what kind of shape you're in. If you're, if your swimming technique is, is really good, you'll beat, you'll beat somebody in great shape just because you're, you're better in the water, better moving through the water. And so I like, I devoted, I don't know how many hours to just like figuring out how to swim and how to be efficient in the water. And now you know, I can kind of jump in the water and swim a bunch without really thinking about the last time I swam. It could be, it could be months since I was in the pool last and, and 
now that you got the technique down, it's like anything in life, right? Once you, most of it's technique. And so, um, anyway, that's, I, I've, I've probably been swimming now for, uh, let's see, I started 12 years, about 12 years and it's all been freestyle, open water freestyle too. There's, there's a difference there, the way you breathe and you have to like look, look out of the water every seven strokes so you can figure out where you're going, make sure you're not swimming in a circle. Um, and yeah. so it's a big, it's a big difference when, from swimming in the pool. Yeah. I can imagine the water's less clear. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, one of them, I swam in the Hudson river, uh, for the New York triathlon. And, uh, it was like, it was like swimming in coffee with cream. I mean, it was the funkiest water I've, I've ever seen, but they said it was safe. I was fine with it. Brave. <laughs> I don't know, if brave, brave and stupid, kind of in the same breath there. Yeah, I guess. Okay. No, I had a question along with that. Oh God. Oh yeah. Are you the person that wears the nose plugs? No, no. Uh, I, I think uh, I think you need to be. Uh, well, you either need to be like eight or ten years old and be that you know you not really know how to do it, or maybe you have some kind of septum issue. Or you have to be those people that like dance underwater, right? The um, synchronized swimmers. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I have never worn a nose plug, but I do have to hold my nose to get in. So right. <laughs> I'm not talented people. What can I say? Uh, oh, that was the other thing too. So you said you do open swimming. I was wondering too, where do you run? Uh, I mean, I run, you, that's the beauty of running is you just need a pair of shoes. Um, I run all over the place. I live in Maryland and, and there's, uh, so there's great road running, uh, lots of kind of big, uh, spacious sidewalks and there's lots of trail running. And so once you get in the trail, like I can, I have the best trail running dog in the United States, I swear. Uh, and so I can, I can get out with him and we'll do seven or eight miles on just like single track trails and, and, you know, not even think about it. So totally different running styles. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but uh, I run on the road and on the trail. Yeah. Some people have like a designated trail. Like I know a lot of people, they like when they go to a new city, they're just like, I'm going to run around. Or there's some people like me who hate being outside and just run on a treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there's something to that too, right? If, but you can really, you get to know a city really well when you're right. You can also get in trouble pretty quick in certain cities when you, when you make that wrong turn, different block you, you thought you were going down or, you know, maybe it's a rougher city than you thought. And so you can end up in some seedy spots quick. Yep. Very, very true. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing about it is you, you learn where every hill is. Biking and running, you know where every hill on your running route is. And, you know, where the top of that hill is and when you're running downhill. And it's funny how you just, you get a whole different perspective on topography when you're, when you're a runner or a biker. I never thought of that, but that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all I could think of is San Francisco. Good luck, you people out there that run. That's next level. Yeah. <laughs> but you also do this thing called one wheel riding. Yeah. What is that? So uh, it's like a skateboard with uh, a motorized wheel in the middle of it. And so the way that you control it is you lean forward and you lean back to accelerate or decelerate or brake. And um, 
I mean, the things are serious piece of equipment. They, they, um, they run on a battery and a motor and they can get going. I mean, some of them go like 25, 30 miles an hour. And so I would have never bought this thing except that I, uh, this place that, uh, uh they're they're like a bar and they sell beer as well uh right up the street from my house and i was there with a, a client and they had one sitting by the the register and i was like how do i enter to win that thing and they said oh you have to buy our beer and so i bought a bunch of their beer and they entered me and then six months later i got a call from this guy and he's like hey you won so i went and picked this thing up and had no idea how to ride it i almost broke my neck trying and then now i figured it out and i take it everywhere so I'll take it to the gym. I'll take it to the grocery store. I'll go pick up lunch. I'll go. And it's like you hop on this thing and it's amazing. It's like uh, if you've ever been um, if you've ever been uh, snowboarding or surfing, it's got a very kind of similar flowy feel to it where you I'll just carve on the sidewalk or carve on the road just like I'm on a on a snowboard almost. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. That sounds so dangerous. <laughs> yeah oh it's super dangerous yeah it's it's a total death trap do you wear a helmet wear a helmet i actually wear wrist guards most of the time too uh because when when you get hucked off that thing at 15 miles an hour it's uh it hurts and definitely <laughs> definitely uh run the risk of breaking something well i'm glad you're taking care of wrists people usually neglect it and go for knee pads and elbow pads instead right right yeah no, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully I've, I'm to the point now where I'm not going to get thrown off at least a- as much. So is it more like a Segway than a unicycle? Uh, it's, it's more like a skateboard. You're standing okay. on it sideways. And so, um, yeah, you're, you, you, your steering is heel and toe, uh, leaning, leaning heel side, leaning toe side. Uh, just like a like a surfboard or a, a, a skateboard or a, a snowboard. Which leg do you have in front then? Mm, good question. I'm goofy foot, so uh, my right my right leg is is forward, and so that that comes from me being left handed. Oh, so I was like, what's goofy footed then? Yeah, yeah. It's most people I think are left foot forward. I'm right foot forward. So actually, I need to double check that. Um, I think that's I think that's the case. Um, but yeah, my right foot's forward. I didn't know you were a lefty either, so that's super fascinating. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, it, w- another crazy thing is I, I don't know if it's genetic or what, but I've got two of my two of my sons are are left-handed. So I have three I have three kids. I have three three boys. Uh, two of them are left-handed and I'm left-handed. So 60% of my house is, is left-handed. Actually, that is super cool. There might be something to the genetics, genetics of lefties because my entire family, my mom's side and my dad's side, every youngest sibling is left-handed. Really? Yeah. That's kind of crazy, actually. Including my sister and we're adopted. It just happened. Oh, there you go. We follow the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of perks to being left-handed. I'm glad that you said that because some people don't believe that. What are the perks in your world? Uh, you know, I think there's a different uh, skill set, frame of thinking. Um, there's a, well, it's funny. There's, there's downsides too, right? Um, so I grew up in 
going to Catholic school and the nuns hated it that I was, that I was left-handed. Um, used to, used to like try and force me to write right-handed, but, uh, let, you know, I think, uh, you get, you get all the sales on sporting equipment. That's, that's hand, that's hand favored. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's some perks. You have a natural curve in bowling. Uh, yeah, actually I've, I just, I've been bowling a lot recently and I have absolutely, I'm straight up the middle every time. No curve wow. or I'm, or I'm in the gutter, but it never curves. So my maybe I just need better was, technique. Uh, maybe my uncle was almost a professional bowler and he's one of the lefties, the million of lefties. And that's the thing we noticed with all the family members. It's like, Oh, the lefties curve naturally, but whatever, maybe not. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but no, he had the same thing about the Catholic nuns. Oh yeah. Yeah. Always they hated it. And, and so you're left-handed. And so you know how it is. If you're writing in pencil and you're dragging your hand across the page, you end up you know smearing everything or smudging everything behind it. And your poor yeah. arm is resting on the spiral notebook and you get like the spiral indents. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Been there with all that. No. Yeah. I'm actually right-handed, but I'm stronger on my left side. Oh, there you go. I do a lot of things right-handed. Uh, it's funny. I golf right-handed. I bat left. Or I bat right-handed. Throw left-handed. Eat left-handed. Uh, right left-handed. Um, so I'm kind of uh, back and forth on a lot of stuff, depending on who taught me. And see, that's something else because, like, I have a lot of friends that knit and they're always talking about like, oh, it's hard to teach because you got to flip it. And I always say, is it hard? Stand right in front of them. Oh, that's true. It's like exactly. being in a mirror. Exactly. Just mirror the person. Now, because when I teach like all the flag spinning stuff too, I'm like, okay, guys, I always have to flip it around because I'm like, follow me. So I'm doing everything on the left side and they're doing it on the right. I'm like, okay, now switch it. We can't. You just saw me do it. Do right. it. <laughs> Give my left side a break. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, when you said one wheel riding, I literally was like, is that a unicycle? Right. <laughs> I do admire some of those guys. They uh, that's tough. I don't know. It is I'm, horrifying. I'll stay with I'll stay with two wheels when I'm cycling. No, yeah, I've been on a unicycle before, and it was not the fun time I thought it would be. No, I bet. I, bet. I was just mortified. But you also go mountain biking. Right, right. Good segue there. Um, yeah, so that's more just being on the trails, uh, and I found that. Uh, training for those triathlons with a road bike is super dangerous and really no fun, boring. Uh, so I have swimming for, to be bored. And uh, so I figured what else is there that can get me on a bike and mountain biking is it. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's just a great way to kind of get out and, and kind of get away from all the hustle and bustle of roads and, people and, and that sort of thing and, and just get out in the woods, get lost for a while. So, but you know, there again, like super technical, people don't realize it, but you're riding around on these, on these trails. Some of them, some of them, uh, aren't very wide. Some of them have pretty sheer drop off on one side. Some, uh, so there's a lot of like, there's a lot to know and be aware of. And so it kind of fully consumes you and there's not a whole lot of time to just let your mind drift. And I actually like that fully engaged activity oh yeah 100 percent. that is what i tell people all the time find something that does that and it'll prevent burnout because you stop thinking about whatever you're stressing about that's true yeah 
and you don't have to worry about some like teenager texting and and running you over uh <laughs> that was the big liability with with road biking was you had all this traffic and a lot of them just aren't paying attention see i thought it would be more of like exhaust blasting in your face and you can't breathe yeah that doesn't help maybe i'm assuming you live in a much more urban area than <laughs> but yeah like actual smog i don't know you swim in the hudson so i don't know where else you've been uh <laughs> right no that's true with your mountain biking, what's the longest ride you've been on? Uh, let's see. I did a race one time. This is kind of funny. Uh, I did a race. It was over um, in uh, Northern Virginia. It was on a farm, and uh, it was called this. It was it was in February, uh, and it was called the Snot Cycle, um, like because your nose is just running the whole time you're riding. Oh, <laughs> and so. Uh, that was, I think we, uh, that was a 30 mile ride. Uh, and that's probably about the longest mountain bike ride I've been on, uh, on, on the road. I've, I think I did uh, a couple of 60 mile rides just training for stuff. And, you know, you get some of these guys that are just nuts and love it and can spend, can spend hour after hour after hour in the, in the saddle. And so, um, you know, I, I, I tried to hang with them for a couple 60 mile rides, but too much. Yeah, no, 60 miles is a lot. Uh, I can't even imagine how long it would take. Yeah. But, Stop the eat. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, what's the highest you've been biking on the mountains? Oh, I don't know. I haven't really. So mountain biking is a little uh, deceiving, maybe should should probably be called trail biking but um so i haven't really actually been on like a proper mountain like out in the rockies or anything um i've been in some mountainous areas but i i don't know about altitude i haven't nothing impressive let's put it that way okay now that makes sense more trails than actual true like up in the appalachian and whatnot yeah but okay so Oh, I had a good segue, but we can't because I still have to ask this question. Oh, who me? Okay, but what's the difference between mountain biking versus flat road or other types, in your opinion, since you do a lot of different type of wheel stuff? Yeah, uh, traffic. Um, traffic's the biggest thing. And then it's like culture, too. You know, you, you the guys that you go mountain biking with are usually a little crunchier than the guys you go uh, road biking with that are kind of bougier and, but it's, you're still kind of this funny community that, that rallies around both of them, um, and respects both of them, but the mountain bike guys are, are, are a little different. Uh, everybody kind of likes to hang out after it's a, it's a good community sport, but it's also something you can do on your own. Uh, so the biggest, but, but there is, there is a, a definitely a difference between, the bike, the, so the equipment, uh, just the way that you look like if I'm riding on the road, I'm probably a hundred percent, you know, spandex for like the best, the best aerodynamics. But if I'm on the, on the trail, I mean, you can wear anything. You just shorts and a t-shirt. I wouldn't advise that you ride for any distance in shorts and a t-shirt, but like that goes on the trail. Nobody really cares. Um, so yeah, just totally different riding styles and, and community around it. Equipment's totally different. Yeah, 
actually that's something people say about climbing a lot climbing is a great community but yeah. you don't really climb with people because i mean you could there but you know climbing you kind of got to get yourself up that's right yeah. yeah do you climb uh no but i have a lot of friends that do yeah i i mean i was into it uh just as covid rolled in and loved it the community there is amazing you just have so many cool people that you can uh you can hang out with and i mean let's face it you can only climb so much unless you're one of the you know the freaks that you see on the documentaries that are just elite athletes uh you can only climb so much before you need a break and so sitting down on some some lounge furniture or something at, at a lot of those climbing gyms and just meeting people is a big part of it it's great oh yeah that's true too like when you're indoors and i know people that do both they moved to colorado specifically because they were like oh the climbing's amazing out here there's like 80 different oh, yeah. mountains around here i'm like have fun yeah that's well colorado is next level for for a lot of these things um but yeah, I mean, if they're in Colorado, there's no reason to go inside. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, wait, no, because Colorado, haha, better segue. Colorado, you can do a lot of skiing there, which is something you do. <laughs> At least yeah. I assume. I don't know. I've never been to Colorado, people. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I'm, I've been to Utah. I've been to Colorado. Colorado is definitely my preference for skiing. I usually get out there once or twice a year. Um, I'm actually taking my family out there, uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, to go to the mountains. They've never seen my, my kids have never seen the mountains. And I'm like, guys, I am so excited for you just to like, as you're, as you're flying into Denver and you're kind of driving out of the city and you hit those mountains on the West side of Denver, it's, it's this like surreal experience, but you know, get, getting back to skiing. Yeah. I, I've done a lot of East coast skiing and then. I get out there, uh, we do a bunch of my fraternity brothers and, and I do a trip at least once a year where we all get together and pick a mountain and just kind of ski all day, uh, hang all night kind of thing. It's great. That is nice. So I've never been skiing just because I've never been anywhere near it that could. So People say when you're skiing, it's a new feeling on earth. So can you describe the sensation for me? And I guess everyone else who's listening who doesn't know what it's like to ski. Uh, huh. That's a great question. It's, it, uh, that's actually a good description. Well, it's a like a lot of things where you don't have, um, you don't, it's like surfing, right? You're, you're being powered by this wave. Um, anything that's kind of gravity based that pulls you, uh, that pulls you down and, and, and you have to kind of measure gravity against the terrain and, and that sort of thing, uh, is, is, is just an amazing experience when you get, and, and it's like a lot of things too, when you have to get beyond that, that fear or beyond the, uh, beyond the skill, uh, hurdle so you can enjoy it. But once you do, I mean, there's, there's no better feeling on earth than, than skiing down the side of a just gorgeous mountain, the scenery, the, the, um, the speed, if you want, if you like that, um, the, the kind of, uh, using, using the terrain and, and that sort of thing. And then, again 
great, great way to spend time with people. Great, great community, great, great uh, kind of, um, I don't know, restaurant, food, booze, whatever you like, you, you know, that, that after you're done skiing is, is awesome, especially after you share today on the mountain. No, that's exactly how other people describe it too. The community part, I mean. Yeah. And about how the food's just good. Hot chocolate for the win, I guess. But <laughs> um, are you more bunny slip or black diamond on the spectrum? Because I don't know the other levels. I just know those two. Yeah, no, I'm I'm solidly in the middle. I'm I uh can I ski a black diamond? Sure. Uh do I have fun skiing them? No, not really. Um I think a lot of people go out with that in mind, like, Oh, I have to, I have to ski a, a black diamond, but, um, I, there's a lot in the middle. They, they rank everything by color. And so it's uh green, blue, black with black being the black diamond. Um, and green usually being like the bunny slope or some, some version of it. I'm a solid blue skier. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm I'm not afraid to say that I I own it. If I can stay on blues all day, I'm pretty happy. I mean, it makes sense. The more intense you get, the more you gotta <laughs> stress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get into like just crazy stuff and really, really steep terrain, moguls, you know, that sort of stuff that that is technically really challenging and it's a lot of work, man. <laughs> I mean, unless your technique is dialed in, uh, it's a lot, a lot of work and, and it's uh, kind of a liability too. I mean, <laughs> uh, you can only fall so many times when you're, when you're, uh, out there before you just, you're ready to bag it and go find those drinks. Yeah. No, I always think about Sonny Bono whenever I hear about skiing. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, what's interesting I, when I started skiing, when I was a kid, I mean, I was, I was skiing in like jeans and, and a baseball cap basically with a, with a ski jacket on oh. and I'd freeze all day. And so equipment's gotten a lot better, right? Not that it didn't exist then, but the stuff that you can buy now for relatively cheap keeps you warm, keeps you dry. Uh, but also pretty much everybody on the mountain wears a helmet. And so I don't know if that was directly because of Sonny Bono or if that was, you know, he probably contributed his, his tragedy contributed some way, but like, uh, you know, I, I think a majority of the people that ski now, strong majority of the people that ski now have a helmet on. And so it's, look, it's, I, I know people that have been life flighted off of a mountain because you just had some idiot that didn't know what they were doing. And, you know, enough enough momentum in a 180 pound person will cause a lot of damage no matter what happens but the they uh i think the helmets have gone a long way to, to help it make, make it a safer sport yeah that is good to hear and makes sense and yeah i never thought about they always say that about driving too look out for the other people it's not you oh that's right yeah yeah there's a lot of idiots on the mountain especially so, in colorado where uh you know you get off the plane and you run you can you can uh you can throw your ski boot and hit three dispensaries you get a bunch of guys stoned on the mountain not really not really controlling themselves very well and you get accidents yeah uh all right things to note don't go to colorado uh 
Yeah, I'm not saying that. Colorado is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but would you claim fitness to be another hobby of yours? Or are you just super lucky that all your hobbies are super active? Um, you know, I, I like to think I'm intentional about being fit. And so I've, I've kind of uh, tailored my hobbies around that. Um, I, I don't know. It's just what I enjoy. I hate being, I hate being stationary for too long. Got to keep moving. And so like in my office, you can see, you can see I've got this Indo board, uh, where it's a balance board. And so I'll like, oh. I'll lift, lift my desk up and I'll work while I'm on a balance board. And it's just hard to be stationary for too long. Have you ever been on those swivel boards? Swivel boards. I don't know if that's what, what they're they? called. I just know they're like a curved U like pedal thing. Oh, I know. Like this. About. And you just like have one foot on, and you just like twist. And it's supposed to be like this ab workout. I've done it before. I felt something in my obliques more than my abs, but hey, same ring of your body, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't been on one, but I'm sure it's great. I mean, anything that gets you moving keeps you keeps you engaged is great. I'm surprised you don't have one of the bouncy ball seats. <laughs> a couple of the guys in the office have them. Um, they, uh, I don't know, they don't really do it for me. I, if I'm going to sit down, I'm going to sit in something that's got a little back support. That makes sense. They don't usually have back support. Uh, when I was substitute teaching, I've sat in those bouncy ball seats. Made my day. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, I huh. loved it. Maybe I'll try one. Yeah, there's a couple in the office. I'll grab like one. Borrow one of theirs. Uh, right. before you make the investment. And okay, so because you've been so intentional about your stuff, did you play sports growing up? I think you alluded to some, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I played basketball. I was, ne I was, I never had the height or the talent to go very far with it. I wrestled for a while. Uh, as soon as the whole team got ringworm, my, my parents pulled me out of that. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I played a lot of intramural stuff, uh, track, of course. Uh, but nothing, nothing really, like I said early on, I mean, I've never been a naturally gifted athlete. I just love it. And so I stay involved with it that way. And, and team sports, you know, interestingly enough, team sports were never really my thing. Um, I like playing basketball. I like, uh, playing like pickup games of, of football and things like that, but I, I never really got on the team. And I think a lot of that uh, it has to do with how I spend my time now, uh, between the, the running, swimming, triathlon, skiing, you know, that sort of thing where it's less team dependent, more individual, uh, climbing would fall in that. Um, and so I, I, I do think that there, there's some influence on, you know, what, what your personality type is, uh, that influences what your interests are. And I'm more of an introvert and prefer to have, have, kind of my own thing as opposed to being dependent on a bunch of other people. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, yeah, no, my parents knew that, uh, don't listen world, but no, I was not a team player. No, no. <laughs> and my parents were like, if you were ever going to go to the Olympics, we knew it was going to be for diving. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because, well, I'm not tall. I don't oh, no, I don't know if I stood up when I was with you. I'm only five, five people. And they were like, you're not going to be a swimmer because you need to be like over six feet for that. But I was flexible when I was super young. 
Oh, there you go. So, Gymnast or uh, diving or yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, they they were like, no, it would have been diving. Uh, diving, so, like people that are good at diving, that is super impressive. Having having, did you ever try it? <laughs> no, I'm scared of heights. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> which I didn't learn until like a few years ago. How'd you learn it? Uh, actually, so mentally, I do not have the fear of heights. But I was on a ladder, and it was a semi-tallish ladder. I would say, like, what, like 15, 20-ish feet, something like that. And I was up there, like, doing a light bulb in the garage for my parents. And my parents are like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, why? And they're like, look at the ladder, full-on shaking. Oh, really? <laughs> beneath me. And I was like, oh. They're like, yeah, are you scared? I was like, I don't feel the sensation of fear. But huh. my body reacts scared. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, you know, look, that's, uh, that's, uh, that doesn't sound like you have a fear of heights. It sounds like you might've just been a little shaky, maybe too much caffeine. I don't drink caffeine. That's the other thing too, <laughs> but it kept happening. Like, a, uh, oh, cause like two, like a year later I had to do like a light in the kitchen. So I stood on top of the Island and they were like, why are your legs shaking? I'm like, are they? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was also weird for me too. Cause I have great body awareness usually. But something, the second I'm off the ground, apparently I don't. Hmm. Well, maybe gymnastics. Go that route. American Ninja Warrior or something. You know, I'll find my fame other ways. Maybe this podcast, people. Keep promoting me. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, moving away from hobbies, unless you consider this one, too. But you're into audiobooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, where do you listen to them? Uh, I listen to a lot of them running. Uh, that's a great way to kind of spend some time. Uh, so, yeah, running usually and then in the car, but I don't have a huge commute. Uh, and so I don't I don't generally have time to, like, mess around with the phone, get the podcast. If I jump in the car and I'm at work in 10 minutes, I, I probably I'm not really not really doing the podcasting. Or rather, uh, audiobooks. No, I feel that. Uh, I also work very close to my dwelling. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I have a time for a, mu a song and a half. Right. Yeah, exactly. If I catch a red light, maybe two. Right. So I feel that. But I meant, like, which platform are you on Audible? Like. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, Audible is where I usually get the books. Um uh, I've been, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I got out of it for a little while and I got back into it. I've been listening to a lot of, uh, biographies or autobiographies recently. And so, um, I, I did Dave Grohl's, uh, book storytellers, uh, or he just storyteller. Uh, I just did, um, Matthew McConaughey's, uh, green lights. Um, I listen to most of my stuff is nonfiction. Uh, and so I listen to a lot, a lot of the, uh, kind of self-help stuff. Um, how to, how to be a better dad, how to, you know, how to not procrastinate, how to, how to, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, that's usually pretty high up on my list. Uh, I did one on crypto. It was horrible, but I, I like slugged it out just cause I'm curious about crypto. And it, you realize how much you don't know when you're listening to something that deep. I still don't know what's going on with crypto. Um, so yeah, that's usually I'm listening to them running. 
and it just helps to pass the time and I can kind of justify, justify running a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know anything about crypto. I had a guest on here and I was like, can you explain crypto to me? And he's like, it's a scam. I was like, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. It feels that. like it. <laughs> Same yeah. with NFTs. If you know what those are. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to understand NFTs. I think those are absolutely a scam. Crypto might have a little bit of something behind it, an alternative currency. I don't know. But yeah, it, it's bizarre. I don't, I don't, I don't know how it, uh, I don't know how it got as far as it did and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Same. Although I do know that like my cousin figured it out because he treated it like the stock market. But once he got the money he wanted, he got out and hasn't gone back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Smart. If he got out in January, he's smart. He got out a couple of years ago because he's like, I got bought a house. And I was like, what? Okay, whatever. Yeah. So good luck to you cryptoers out there and your NFTers and all your conventions that they apparently have over this stuff. But <laughs> not here. If you want to come on, though, let me know at the Shape of a Star podcast on Instagram or the shape of a star podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your side of the story and try to explain it to me. But we hear about you and your audiobooks. So you already kind of mentioned what you listen to. You listen to self-help, biographies. So do you have any other favorite kinds or are those like your things? Uh, no, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. Um, I haven't really done any fiction on them, but uh, yeah, they, they're, uh like i said a good way to spend the time what's interesting when you're running is you're not actually a lot of people discourage you from running to music because the beat of the music will kind of set your tempo yes (laughs) it does so and so it's really hard you're i think you're supposed to supposed to listen to 90 bpm or uh 180 bpm music and i mean i i think there's something maybe to it but the easiest way to do it is just find a, an audio book and dig into that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm in a, a, a book hole right now, so I got to find a, a new one, I guess. That's a great segue for me. So people, if you go back and listen to episode, oh God, what number is it? I'm the worst about that. I don't remember what episodes anyone is. Uh, go back to list to episode 48, Maria Frazier. Maria actually has her debut novel on audiobooks, which is an audiobook exclusive uh, called Margarita in the Spotlight. It's all about humor, heart, and country music. And the cool thing about it is, is because it's audible only, she got to write her own music. So it's about some uh, Margarita trying to like make her way in the country music biz, everyone. So... Maria over there got to write country songs and it's actually sung in the audiobook. So I tell Maria all the time she wrote her own musical. Hearing, uh, you know what? Hearing people actually narrate their own book is amazing. Uh, I did, I, I read the Beastie Boys book a little while ago and uh, they did a little bit of it and it was really kind of, it was good to hear their voices coming in. They also brought in some like guests guest folks to do it too like will ferrell was in there and a bunch of other people but uh so cool to hear their side of it in their voice 
And yeah. if she's got original tracks in there, that's even better. Right. I don't think she narrated it, but she did write everything. So she was just like, ah, hearing my music yeah. come to life. Cause she pitched it as just a novel on its own. And then when audible bought it for like exclusivity, they were like, yeah, now we can like put your music in. She was like, Oh, oh super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, everyone, I met Maria through commercial time queries, qualms and quirks, which is run by episode six, Sarah Nicholas Nicholas. Okay. So, Queries, Qualms, and Quirks asked published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. Author Sarah Nicholas interviews all genres about how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, find it on YouTube, or just go to sarahnicholas.com. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H to learn more. And that's how I get half my author guesses, just like, I'm like... Oh, Sarah got them. Message. Want to do another one real fast? <laughs> Boom. Nice. So, nice. No shame, people. People like to talk and promote their stuff. Which, if you do too, message me. I'll drag you on. So, <laughs> oh, what speed do you listen to your audiobooks at? Uh, I didn't realize you could listen to any any other speed except the one they came in. I'm yeah. I'm whatever comes in. That's what I listen to it in. 1.0 speed. That's right. Yeah. Can you listen to it faster? Uh, me specifically, I don't like to because I like to. I listen to like talk show stuff, kind of like what we're doing right now, honestly. Yeah. So when you speed it up, you lose the emotion, the dramaticism, and just like the conversation flow. Yeah. But I know someone that's like, no, I'd have to be in 3.5 speed because in audiobook novels, like if you're hearing Harry Potter, they yep. read super slow to, in order to make sure everything is pronounced correctly. Oh, man. Yeah, and I can see so that. That's why it's like, crank that speed up to normal sound. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I can think of a couple. like That crypto book, I wish I would have listened to it at least double. <laughs> Oof. I can only imagine. Uh, yeah. So you are a networker just by skill set and like life. And that's how we ended up here. So... Feel free to name or describe some of the cool people that you finagle with. I don't know if I spelled finagle right, by the way, but that's what I attempted. Uh, cool people I finagle with. Um, so uh, I deal with a lot of scientific companies in what I do. And um, so I deal with really, really smart people that understand science and understand biology and are making like next generation medicine uh, a reality. And, and it, it sounds like science fiction when they're talking about it. And it's what we're, you know, kind of coming out with for the next, the next uh, medical uh, uh, advances are, are crazy when you'll first hear them, but you know, they, they become almost like I've become almost like callous to it or it's lost its novelty to me. But, um, you know, talking with those people and, and one, it's like what they're working on is amazing, but two, uh, it's the passion that they have for whatever they're going after. They're not, they're not, I mean, everybody is motivated by something in a lot of cases, there's a story behind what they're, what they're going after for their indications. 
and and generally it's it if you get to the root of it it's something personal someone they know had it someone someone they they uh you know cared about had it you know whatever uh and and so uh there's that there's talking with those people i think are are probably one of the coolest parts of of my network and and you know learning learning about those technologies and learning the stories behind the technologies is even better and that's why matt was in philly everyone yeah that's <laughs> so true to hear the fascination straight from the trip actually so yeah. also i would like to point out a, i had a google how to spell finagle I didn't read the definition because I use the word finagle a lot. Um, apparently finagle means to obtain something by devious or dishonest means. Um, I just meant interact with. So <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's how I understood it. Yeah. So if you did know what the word means, everyone, sorry, we added context. Uh, we meant interact, not that Matt's over here doing like black market science stuff. Not that, not that it will talk about. <laughs> So, why do you think networking is important? Uh, I mean, networking, well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the some of the uh, best people I know uh, are really good at, and this is, this is going to probably sound different than it's intended, but are really good at collecting relationships and collecting friendships. And, and they just know how to interact with people and how to, and how to put the people before the motive. And, uh, so I think that's really important. Just, I think everybody wants to be connected in some way. I'm not particularly great at it. Um, I, I have a lot of people that I work with that are, that are far better at it. And I look to them as inspiration, but, um, yeah, I think it, it has a lot to do with just everybody wants to wants to be connected at some level and so to the extent that you can be that connection and then even make additional connections based on the rest of your network you know that that just puts you in a great position nice summary and definition so in your opinion then what is the key to networking um the key to networking is uh putting yourself second and not really uh having your agenda as the primary reason for the interaction uh one of the things that'll kill a networking or a communication flow the fastest in my opinion is when someone tries to highlight themselves a lot uh, as opposed to taking an interest in somebody else and and uh, trying to understand that person better, trying to see what they need and then how they can help fulfill it, I think that that's probably the the key to great networking is just putting someone else first. That is excellent. Like, yeah, no, oh, super smart. That's why I like asking people this question, everyone, is because everyone has such a different angle on it and uses it in their own special way. So speaking of us talking to the people as a fourth wall, any tips for those who are trying to break into the networking skill? Because it is truly a skill, I feel. Yeah. I Again, I'm not great at it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, 
I'm kind of speaking a little out of school on it. I, I've done a bunch of it, but I'm not great at it. Uh, what I admire most about people that are networking is that you know, people usually think that networking is like an event. It's like something that's, that's uh, done in a big room with lots of people. Networking is something that's done just daily interaction. And, and the best people I know at it, they're consistent. They, they constantly follow up with people and stay engaged. They're, um, they're, uh, giving and, and, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, getting back to the, the, the last point, which was they just, they're, they, they would rather sacrifice something themselves than, than, you know, try and promote themselves in it. That, that kind of comes second. Sorry, world, I was muted. Yeah, super wise words. You might not be the best networker, but you know how to phrase everything great. Nice. Which Appreciate is actually that. another great segue, world. Wow, I had pre-thought apparently. Um, so you have a degree in communications. <laughs> right, right. The one way to get through college was just to get a degree in communications. Um, right, so... I actually, uh, I have, I was a double major. I was communications and finance, and I picked up the second major essentially to chase a girl, um, where I stuck around for a fifth year. And frankly, I just wasn't wasn't ready to graduate. But uh, I didn't need to stick around the whole year. But I figured, hey, I'm only a few credits away from this second second major, and so um, stuck around and picked it up, and uh, then right after college promptly broke up with a girl and then got back together with her and married her. So it all worked out. But um, yeah, the, uh, the uh, communications degree is, it was kind of the layup in terms of how I could uh, get a degree and get out of college and get on with my life. So that's, that's how I ended up there. Oh, I didn't know like half of that story. I only knew some of it, everyone. Also, I didn't even know you had the finance side too, which makes a lot more sense to how you ended up where you are to me. Right, right. Which also yeah, no. everyone, oh, sorry, go on. Well, I would, I would say the communication is actually way more important than the finance. While the finance kind of appeals to me a little bit more, I think the communications is um, actually... Uh, you know, you learn a lot of theory and book stuff and, you know, maybe that's applicable with the communications degree, but my best encouragement is go wait tables and tend bar for a, a living. And you learn a lot more about communicating with people that way than you do, than you do in any book. You know, that makes sense. <laughs> I could definitely see that. I no, spent I... a lot of, a lot of years waiting tables. Oh, what kind of places? You name it. I, I lived in the Hamptons for a summer. Uh, I, li I lived in Hilton Head for two summers. Um, I waited tables in in uh, uh, in Tenant Bar in in my hometown, and uh, you know, pretty much everywhere except for DC, where I live now. Well, never say never. You could always pick up a shift. <laughs> I don't think I could go back to that. All right. It's a lifestyle that's fun for fun for a certain season of life. 
Nice way to say it. Also, pretty ring. I didn't notice it, but I see it like glistening in the sun right now. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh. So, wow, you already answered that. The question was, everyone, is that Matt told me he went into communications without a plan, but <laughs> what actually interested him into it? And you admitted <laughs> you were chasing someone. But yeah. for those who are interested in communications, what are some of the potential paths that people can actually use it to succeed? Oh, God. I mean, so many. Uh, everything's about communication, I think. Um, I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. I mean, my wife was in the um, she was in communications, but she was in the School of Journalism. And so she had a totally different path than I had. Um, I was like, I was in uh, like telecommunications. And so such a, such a wide variety of, of communications. There's the medium, you know, there's the, there's the technical elements, there's the, there's the uh, physical communication piece of it. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, you can find just about anything to scratch your itch in, in communications, but I would say, um, I would say, you know, some of the best stuff that I learned was conversational and, and just learning how to learning how to um, interact with people. Interpersonal communications was probably the, the most vital to just life. You actually just answered the next two questions with that statement. Great job. So oh, there you go. I'm going to end our communication section with this. So <laughs> is this where you got your excellent speaking voice? <laughs> Oh, I appreciate that. I, um, uh, you know, it's so funny about your speaking voices. I, I don't know. You, you probably hear your voice all the time and you're used to it, but anytime I hear my voice, I think, Oh, do I really sound like that? Um, but, um, no, I, I, I haven't worked on my voice at all. I, but I appreciate the compliment. No problem. I took one communication class and they were like, you need to make your voice. And they were trying to alter my voice. I was like, it's not altering. Yeah. It's not. I'm not a singer. I can't do all this cool stuff with my voice. Best I could do is make cool squeaks. But they were like, yeah, like, drop it into your diaphragm more, make it deeper. And I'm like, it hurts. Like, yeah. physically, like, feel the contraction. Like, it's not happening. So I pay attention to voice. All voices are cool, people. I like my voice, so <laughs> they could suck it. <laughs> and I wasn't going into being a newscaster anyway, so haha. But speaking of what people did end up going into, Matt over here is like this swanky real estate agent. So uh, I'm trying to figure out how'd you go from finance to communication into real estate? Uh, so my niche is in um, commercial real estate. So uh, it's funny, I, I've tried to buy, I've had, I've had three houses that I bought um, and Every time I buy a house and I try and do it myself, I regret it. I should definitely hire a realtor the next time I, the next time I make a real estate purchase uh, in the residential world. My my discipline is commercial, and I have a very specific niche in in uh, in that, and it's in research spaces, lab spaces, and so I'm like one of only a handful of people that that does that and that understands how to how to take the scientific processes and translate them into facilities and then you know kind of bring that all together and find somebody a find somebody a place to do their science and so 
I got into it because I, I, um, like I got into it by accident. I, I originally wanted to get into nonprofit. I was doing nonprofit work for the American Diabetes Association in, um, in Ohio where I grew up and I came to DC because that's where nonprofits just are prevalent and you could kind of take it to the next level. So many here. Yep. And then I realized that it was just really hard to make ends meet uh, and, and kind of achieve my financial goals, even though those were pretty loosely defined at the time, uh, you know, achieve my financial goals, uh, doing nonprofit work. And so I admire anybody in that field just because I know how hard it is and, and how, you know, hard it is to make ends meet doing something you love like that. But I took, I took my skill sets and kind of transitioned those into, into real estate, which is more just a kind of a business to business type of selling position in the first few years. And so I was calling people for sponsorships and, and fundraising for uh nonprofit. And then I took that and I just kind of took those skills and, and started, started doing it uh, for, for real estate uh, and for a services company. And then I mentioned earlier my wonky personality where I I dig in on the details of stuff. And so I just kind of had a knack for picking up the scientific jargon and understanding how it all worked and understanding how these companies uh, use space and, and it took off from there. Wow. You never know where you're going to end up, people. That's right. So... Yeah. I just want to say the next question, because I loved how I phrased it, even though you answered it, is that I know you ended up specializing in something, but care to explain it to the world, what that is, because I literally cannot, but you right. actually explained it <laughs> great, and I got it this time. I don't know if it's because we're not on a train. It's the second time I'm hearing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, good. I'm glad. It, 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 uh, it can be hard for people to get their head around it. Sometimes they're like, wait, you do what? For who? And But... Um, yeah, I mean, everybody, I think, became familiar with uh, lab space uh, because of everything that happened during COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, so you just became far more familiar with the way that drugs are developed and the way that um, the way that uh, maybe the space plays a role in that. And it's a very tangible type of real estate. And so while the while COVID locked everybody down, uh, where no one was going into the office, no one was no one was uh, leaving their house. Uh, a lot of the research buildings had full parking lots because you have you can't you can't do science in your basement. You know you're not doing you're not doing uh, microbiology work or, or you know chemical synthesis in your garage. You're unless you're cooking meth, uh, <laughs> and so you're you're basically you need that that tangible space to actually to actually do your work, and so it just thrived all through COVID. Yeah. Um, so you kind of said you ended up in this specialty, but you told me on the train that there were some buzzwords you learned to impress people with. You don't have to reveal them all, but is there any that you would like to share? Buzzwords. Um, uh, sure. Um, I don't know how many people are going to care about these though. Uh, let's see. That um, maybe the most interesting is uh, everybody's seen Outbreak, 
right? Uh, or you know, one of those types of film or types of movies that has that has a uh, some sort of uh pathogen that gets out and it infects everybody and so you have these guys walking around in the full breathing suits and yeah they're they're in so they're in what are called uh biosafety level four laboratories working on that stuff and uh a lot of people don't realize that there's only a handful of those facilities anywhere in the world uh and so you can actually look it up on wikipedia bsl4 facilities and they work with like they called CDC uh, has this list of like select agents is what they're called. And it's a really, really nasty stuff. It's Ebola and it's monkeypox and it's smallpox and it's anthrax and it's all those nasty things that require a certain level of security and, a, and another level of care. So biosafety level uh, and, and most of the lab space that I work on is like biosafety level two, which is pretty uh you still need to be able to clean up and disinfect but it's not like biosafety level four and then biosafety level one is basically like your kitchen so the biosafety oh, level okay. yeah so biosafety level one is you know it's not quite your kitchen but that's that's a good you know kind of analogy and then biosafety level two is like a pretty well contained uh, uh cleanable uh lab space that has segregated hvac and all those things biosafety level three you start to get into some nasty stuff uh, they're working with, you know, something that requires a, a next level of security, next level of, uh, uh, decontamination maybe, and, uh, gowning and that sort of thing. And then biosafety level four, like you see in the movies is, is like such a rarity in the market. Usually it's like, usually it's a university or it's a government lab or something like that, that has them. But biosafety level is kind of a quirky thing in that a lot of people don't realize uh, that there's even any way to kind of say, oh, that's a that's a BSL four lab um, when you're watching those movies. Okay, wow, that, yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're gonna have to watch this again to to catch all of that. I, I'm sure. But okay. that, if I had to share one term, that would be that'd be a fun one. Yeah. So you already mentioned that you would hire someone else to do residential for like your own housing. Uh, I was just wondering. Are you actually even able to do like housing? I guess you can because you did your own. You said, "Yeah, I think, I think most states that I'm licensed in will let me do like one or two residential transactions a year, but I'm definitely not the right guy to do it." All right. So <laughs> speaking of most states and living, you've lived everywhere. Like I don't know about everywhere, but <laughs> East Coast. Okay, you lived all over the East Coast. Can you name some of the places you've lived? Uh, sure, I lived in New York, in the Hamptons uh, for a summer. Uh, lived, I grew up in Ohio. Um, lived in South Carolina for a couple summers. Uh, lived in uh, uh, Florida for a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's it's mostly East Coast stuff and then just try and travel out West any chance I get. All right. So what would you say are the pros and cons of like any of them? Uh, I'm not built for New York. I know that much. Uh, the folks in New York are just, they run at a different speed. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely more Midwest. Uh, I like the Midwest, except that now that I've lived in the East coast for a, a majority of my life, I feel like I'm, I'm 
pretty well wired for uh, the hustle and bustle that comes from East Coast, uh, uh, you know, anywhere in the 95 corridor. Uh, I feel like the South is tough for me just because, I mean, my wife is extremely climate driven, so she wants to move as far South as she possibly can. And I'm trying to support that. Uh, but I, I can't take the swampy summers any more than I already have them in the DC area. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, those are the those are the kind of pros and cons. I think I think there's a great culture in in DC. I mean, I grew up in Ohio where like there's a bunch of white people, and <laughs> you know that that's that's good until it's not. And I love that my kids are growing up with like a, such a diverse uh, group of friends, where they're gonna be like they're gonna be so much more worldly than I ever was. Uh, growing up and and just have a, a a next level tolerance for you know a lot of different cultures a lot of different languages and a lot of different ideas and so hopefully that carries through into their when they become adults you know yeah once now that you're saying it i guess it would have been if everyone around you was white and you went to catholic school so there's not even religious diversity <laughs> so. that's right yeah yeah um so yeah, I mean that that's kind of the pros of of big cities and and the East Coast specifically. East Coast, best coast. I think that's the phrase. I don't really know. I'm a very East Coast <laughs> person. But what's something people would find surprising about you? Uh, find surprising about me. That's a tough one. Um, something. Surprising. They uh, a lot of people are surprised that I'm an introvert. Uh, they think that I have like, they think that I have a, a more outgoing personality than I actually do. But being around people, being in like big rooms of people specifically, exhausts me. And I need I need time to recharge. I need to like, I in in big party situations, I I go to the bathroom a lot. Just not because I have to go to the bathroom. Just to like get some time to collect myself for a minute. And so, you know, that's surprising for a lot of people. That's actually a really good trick. Yeah. <laughs> for all you yeah. introverts out there, pretend that you have a bladder thing that night or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It leads you to chugging lots of whatever you're drinking. So be careful there too. Uh, but um, yeah, I, um, you know, it's interesting. I learned about, because I have one of my sons is definitely an introvert. Um, he, he takes after me in a lot of ways, but, um, he, he, uh, I try and kind of coach him in this direction. And I figured out my, my core, if I'm in a group of five or less, I'm usually really good. I can, I can manage conversation. I can kind of stay in the moment. I can, I can stay focused. I'm, I don't get depleted as, as soon as I get to like six and above just doesn't work. So understanding where you fit socially is is such an important such an important step. It is. And now I'll tell you this later, but I totally could see you being an introvert, but that's just because the whole world knows I've said it before. I don't believe extroverts exist, period. <laughs> There's uh yeah, I don't know. I know a couple extroverts. They are so much fun to be around and they definitely get energy from being being around other people and lots of them at, at times. And so, 
uh, I, I think they definitely exist. I read this book, um, The Power of Being an Introvert, I think it was called, I can't remember the author. Um, and it was really interesting because she said babies, um, baby, you can tell if a kid's gonna be an introvert or extrovert in a lot of cases based on how they react to stimulus as babies. And what's interesting is they call them high reactive and low reactive. High reactive babies uh, are generally introverts. Weird, right? Uh, because stimulus overwhelms them and they react. But kids that it takes a lot to get them going, kids that need like some, somebody to fire a cannon uh, to, to really get them moving is, uh, is they're generally extroverts because they need additional stimulus. We went down that rabbit hole. I don't know how we got there. <laughs> I mean, I fully believe that actually. So let that be known world. I believe it. All right. So last question of the main question portion is what's a question you have for me? Because you're one of the few people that actually, I don't know. Well, we literally just met on our train and did this. Yeah. Well, you told me you were, you were essentially targeting me. Um, you said you're, you're going to find somebody for your show on the train. I said, I think it'd be cool <laughs> if I did and you were willing to talk. So I went with it. Uh, you, you sure you want to open this door? I'm, I've got some questions. Go um, all right. Uh, I've got two questions. How about that? Go for it. All right. First question. Who are your heroes? Oh, that's such a whole controversial thing because I don't like to have heroes. But, oh, really? Uh, yeah, no. Everyone has flaws. I could like like something about someone, but liking someone as in their entirety, eh, we all have flaws. You don't have to like them in their entirety. You're not a hero isn't a hero because they're perfect. A hero is a hero because you want to embody something that they have or that they express. Huh. That's the other thing too. I express a lot of what I already feel. So it's always like the whole hero concept. Uh, you know, does that have to be a real person? Yeah. Whoever you want it to be, whoever, whoever you look to for inspiration. I look to Scarlett O'Hara of Gone with the Wind. Wow. All she right. got what she wanted in the end and she did not care. Right about who she stepped over and stuff. Look, I'm not saying there isn't a problematic movie and story, everyone, but like, <laughs> if you're looking at it from like the whole, a woman against the world angle, like, wow, <laughs> how empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else do I think does awesome, great things? Lady Gaga's born this way foundation side, like all the philanthropy and promotional stuff. Uh, yeah, that's, all I could think of right now, because like I said, people have asked me this before and I'm like, I don't got a clue. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think you hit on something though, in terms of uh, people's perception of a hero is that they have to be perfect and everybody's heroes are different, not because they're perfect, but because they see something in them that they want to, that they want to take on. And so, you know, I, I think that's, that's a fallacy in, in people's perception of what a hero should be or is because that they have to be perfect. So <laughs> way to make me sound wise. Yeah, no, it's good. All right. Did you have others? Cause you said you sounded, it sounded like you had a couple. <laughs> I've got, so uh, I'm just curious, like, how do you, how do you measure success? That's a great question, actually. Um, 
I like to task analysis or task analysis things. I don't know the proper phrase for it. Task analysis those when you take a big thing and you break it down the more tangible steps. Yeah. And whenever I complete one of those things, boom, succeeded. Like eating the elephant, like you, you, you know, you have to break it down into small bites or just the small bites. Oh no. The small bites themselves is a victory. Oh really? Everything is a victory. And that's, uh, that's interesting. The exercise of just breaking them down is tough. <clears throat> well, that actually, that was one of the life hacks, uh, in there. It's one of the top ones, which is that, um, uh, let's see. I, I can't remember how they phrased it now. I wish I would have pulled it up. It was, um, uh, oh, here it is. When you have 90% of a large project completed, finishing up the final details will take another 90% effort. Okay. So essentially the last 10% of a project will take 90% of the effort. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so breaking it down into small pieces, you have to account for that on the back end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's how I measure success is that anything could be a success. And honestly, when you celebrate all the little things you do, life's more fun. A hundred percent. Totally agree with that. Anything else? I'm here. I love answering oh, questions. I've got tons, but uh, I, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, take us down too many rabbit holes oh, okay let's just hop over to the rapid fire then that may or may not be rapid but you ready yep all right what are your chosen coping skills uh coping skills uh coping with like issues like big issues like uh, how i define it to in stress? work is just when you're not feeling happy or calm how do you get back there things you do oh, to get back there. Yeah, exercise uh uh one wheeling, if I go one wheeling, it's just like I can I can check check out for like 15 minutes. Um however long the battery lasts. Um and and sleep. God, I love sleep. Sleep is oh awesome. Cheap and easy and fun. There's so much good that can come from good night's sleep. Yes. That's when your body heals, people. <laughs> um, team Edward or Jacob? Edward, who's who are who's Edward or Jacob? Edward's the vampire. Jacob's the werewolf. Oh, this is uh, what's the name of this? Twilight. This is the movie Twilight. Um, team Edward or Jacob? Which one's the vampire? Edward. Uh, and the other one is a werewolf. Uh, I'll go with the werewolf. All right, Team Jacob. Um, yep. Which direction should you cut your sandwich? Diagonal. What direction should you fold your napkin? Diagonal. Okay. Um, <laughs> easy for you. I'm glad that you had an answer. Some people struggle. So. Really? Oh, yeah. What's your answer? I answered that in the season finale. I'll text it to you later. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, what gift would you want to get from a fairy? From a fairy? Yep. What are the parameters on a fairy gift? Like uh, anything? Is it like a genie gift? Kind of, basically, yeah. Uh, I don't. 
are these physical things or are these conceptual things? Are these, could they be anything. like world peace? Literally, <laughs> it could be anything. That's why I ask um, it. Yeah, no, I, um, I don't know. That's a tough one. One, one wish, right? Yeah. Uh, or it's a gift, but it could be a wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. I'm struggling with that. I've got a lot of stuff banging around in my head right now. Um, it would be definitely more like big picture conceptual thing rather than physical. It'd be something ex experiential maybe. If I wanted to be selfish, it would be like an amazing trip with my family around the world. Um, if I wanted to be, uh, if I wanted to be like kind of, uh, altruistic, I would say it would probably have something to do with preserving, uh, you know, children and, and protecting children. That's just where my priorities are. So noble, um, <laughs> that you <laughs> even think of like saving other people. Oh, left or right Twix? Left. What's a trend that went too far? Bitcoin. <laughs> What's one thing you would eliminate from life? My life or... Life, life. as a whole. But it could be oh. your own. Yeah, you got to dial this in. This is... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need more guidance. <laughs> it's just one thing. Someone said mosquitoes. Uh, oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, I feel like it would screw up. You know, you take any one piece out of the environment that screws everything up. That's exactly um, what I said to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, take one thing. I don't know. One thing. I don't know. Probably Neil Diamond's whole song catalog. Boom. That's a good answer. <laughs> Except for Sweet Caroline. That's my go-to if I'm ever put into a karaoke situation because I can get everybody else to sing for me. And that's how you know Matt is from Whiteville, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but fair. Uh, oh, okay. Who would play you in a documentary slash movie about your life? Oh, what's that guy's name? Terrible with names. Um... Who would I like to, or who do I think would be a good match? Either or, or both. Uh, maybe Matt Damon. Okay. Who's yeah, the guy I... that played Dead Deadpool? Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, maybe Ryan Reynolds. He seems like a good guy. Uh, because it's a documentary slash movie or movie about your life. What genre would it be? Oh, tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's not going to end well. Dun, dun, dun. Um, if you stick to the status quo, which click would you be in? If I stick to the status quo, give me more on that. Oh, that means basically if we stereotype you in the high school clicks, which one would you be in? Oh, God. In high school or now? 
you now, but with high school cliques in mind? Oh. What are the cliques? What are, give me, give me, I just watched Days and Confused, so I know I'm, I'm like fresh on a few of them, but. Um... Uh, well, in high school musical, there was the jocks, the geeks, the band nerds, the God, jocks, geeks, band nerds, the goths, emos. Um, I know cliques are like a weird thing of the past at this rate, but hey, we're old enough to know. I definitely trended more geek uh, and probably still do. Uh, you know, in high school, I was in like physics club and um, I was on the yearbook and uh, really into photography. And uh, I still have, I still love the scientific side of things. And, but yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably trend more geek. Okay. <laughs> what click should you have been in in high school though? Uh, I probably should have gone, uh, I don't know. I think that's a good spot for me. I think it served me well. Okay. Yeah. Also, I forgot journalism and yearbook people are also their own clique. So. Oh, right. Well, I wasn't actually didn't have a ton of friends in those, um, for whatever reason, but, uh, yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my friends, we were more into the party scene. Uh, than anything so oh that's also a click parties donors like all those people but okay we're at the last one if your life was a jukebox musical what would be the opening song do you know what a jukebox musical is no oh it's a musical like how mamma mia uses songs from like not from like places in the world yeah yeah that's what a jukebox musical is it's basically like you could pull it on a jukebox or basically like if you pull up a song on spotify and throw it in a musical or Apple Music. I don't know what you use. What would be the opening song? Yeah. Of your movie with Matt Damon acting out your tragedy. kind of love the question. I um, have a lot of... Uh, so does, does the opening song set the tone for the whole movie? Or does it just like... Is that just setting the tone for the opening scene? That's up to you. Usually the whole movie, though, in a documentary or biopic. God, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, for some reason, I'm, 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 I'm thinking it's uh, Dire Straits comes to mind. <laughs> I've got a couple songs from Dire Straits I like. Uh, Sturgill Sturgill Simpson I've been listening to a lot recently and that's all good stuff some Chris Stapleton comes to mind I don't know I've got a bunch of stuff (laughs) Jay-Z I'll throw him in there and and maybe I I don't know I've got a a Beastie Boys I'd probably it's probably something in the Beastie Boys catalog No, like, song specifically? Hello Nasty. Hello Nasty by the Beastie Boys. Or or Sabotage. Sabotage by the Beastie Boys opening up for Matt Damon playing a tragedy about your life. That sounds right. That sounds right. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, there endeth the question, the rapid-fire question. So, just to wrap up, is there anything you want to say to the world while they're listening? No, I 
appreciate the opportunity to answer a bunch of hard questions and see where it goes. Well, I appreciate you willing to come on. If people wanted to reach out, is there a place that people should reach out to you at or should they just come through me to get to you? Yeah, they can go through you. All right. So remember, people, we have a Twitter at The Shape of a Star because podcast couldn't fit in. Instagram at The Shape of a Star podcast and a Gmail at The Shape of a Star podcast at gmail.com. Uh, check out the website. Check out everything. Matt, again, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Appreciate no problem. It. And uh, catch us next orbit, everyone. And see you next time. Bye. <laughs>